Welcome on, thank you for tuning in to the Battle of Birds FC podcast, a podcast focusing all things pro soccer in the DMV and across the United States. My name is Jose Almanya, sports writer for the Sports Pulse, and joining me, as always, is our co-host Mario Maya from Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today? I am doing excellent, you know, just surviving MLS after dark, and I got a little bit of a, of a fun fact. Did you know Gordon Ramsay was a trialist for Glasgow Rangers? But couldn't continue because of a serious knee injury, hence why he got into being a chef. I think he picked the right profession. The last thing I need is his food takes in the middle of a corner kick. I, that's just my opinion. That corner kick was raw! <laughs> in any event, outside of Chef Ramsey's ramblings about what corner kick tastes better than the other, um, we got a game from, like you mentioned, MLS After Dark. DC Knight's only trip to the West Coast this season because of the funny schedule created because MLS doesn't like things to be even. And that was against San Jose Earthquakes. A, a fun slash interesting slash confusing match. Uh, in the end, San Jose beat DC 4-1. Um, Jackson Yule scored twice, including a, a wonderful goalie in the second half. And he Cade Codwell, 17 years old, scored one goal and had two assists in the game. Before we get into more specifics, you know, Mario, what were your thoughts in the game? Um, the pace of the game, like it was a lot of up and down action, especially more in the in the first half and the second half. But you know, what are your thoughts overall on the match? Uh, again, slow start killed DC United in, in this game. Uh, they gave up a goal about. What fifty something seconds into the into the game? Right. I want to say fifty five, but let's just keep it under the first minute of the game. Uh, it it kind of killed them. Yeah, they were able to rebound in some way and find, and especially in the first ha- half, with you know, keep uh, keep pace and pay, uh, pay, uh, pace with San Jose with the ebbs and flows of the game. But you know, San Jose was able to capitalize. On the oh, was able to capitalize on their game plan, and that that's how they took. That's why they took all three points. And also, man, I had never seen a seventeen-year-old burn Frederick Briant the way Cade Cadwell did all game long, especially in the first half. And with one of Jackson Yule's goals, Hernan Lozada put it best: it was a Champions League caliber goal. Yeah, that was a good strike. Uh, I will. I, you know, I have my own opinions on that strike, to be honest. All I would say is that when Bill Hamid returns, it will be a welcome, a well-worn welcome when Bill is back. Um, you know, Chris Sides is a good, decent caliber goalkeeper. He's a good backup, but I think that was one of my big takeaways is that the injuries were just mounting, and it's mounting on this team, and they don't really get a break until the June until June, um, so they're really going to be the walking wounded and hoping that guys get back healthy and an appropriate timing. Uh, Tony Alfaro got his first career MLS and DC United goal in the 31st minute, but it really did get wiped away <laughs> by Jackson Yule and go, you know, going down 3-1 by halftime. It felt defensively DC United lost its shape early. And after getting punched in the face in the first minute, and it was another slow start, the third straight slow start. And 
one has to be concerned about the amount of bodies. And we'll get to Hernan Losada said um, in the post game, but it's just so many bodies. You already were out ten guys, and well, eight guys. Then you were down two more guys. Russell Knaus and Nigel Robertha did not travel. Uh, we found, come to find out Knaus had been struggling with a uh, COVID vaccine after effects and then came in the training, picked up a late knock, and Robertha had a hamstring injury. That's two strikers with hamstring problems, so great. Um, Thanks, Johnson. Um, Johnson. Um, Moses Nyman uh, played for Canals, and we kept Sorg up top. I thought Sorg's performance was a bit anemic. He didn't really uh, provide any impact in terms of creating attacks or even hold-up play. Overall, non-existent in terms of adding something in the attack. Uh, and Edison Flores, I thought this was his best game, but at the same time, while he's having his best game offensively, Emil Saad is not. He's nowhere to be found whatsoever. It was an early sub into the second half. And it just goes to show you that I don't know if it's that those two can't play together or maybe we're using uh, Edison Flores in the wrong position. He should be playing more up front. And maybe then we can get more out of Assad. But I do I do agree with Hernan's comments at the game, at the end of the game that there were positives, but no, we can't help but look at the negatives. Yeah, and especially consider like especially considering the top third, which has also been decimated with injuries, all with Ola Kamara being out, Nigel Roberta picking up a last second knock, and couldn't travel to San Jose, and on top of that, Jordi Rain is also out. So you only have two attacking options. I mean, Eric Sorga tries. It's just that sometimes trying isn't good enough. And he, he's had, he, he may have his moments here or there, but I feel like he tracks back a little too much. And when he does get attacking opportunities, like he did late in the game where he had an open net, it, he just couldn't finish it. It wasn't a strong enough uh, fit, wasn't a strong enough finish, and they were able to clear it out. And then after they cleared it off the line, the San Jose defender fist pumped the hard, fist, fist pumped the uh, the uh, air way too hard on a hard celebration. And so, yeah, I think when it comes down to it, yeah, there are some positives from this game, but you can't help but look at the negatives as well. I mean, Edison Flores has had so far his better game of the season, while Yamil Assad, this was his worst game of the season so far. I think one of the few positives you could pick up from this was the return of Felipe. That was nice to see him back after being out. since He hasn't played since, eight, since August 29th of last year. So it was nice to see him back. I think the Tony Alfaro goal was, was just a, a coincidence of just terrible clearance from the San Jose defense. On the on the ensuing corner that leads to the goal, but other than that, uh, it's just a number of factors. And like you said, DC United's getting a, a two week break in June. I can confirm. Concacaf League of Nations semifinals and finals are played that are played in the first week, and Copa America starts in the starts the following week. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's far away. Um, right to your. To, to your point, though, about 
you know, Felipe, and we'll get to his comments about what he thought about his comeback um, in a second. But I just wanted to relay it back, you know, the number of injuries and concerns there. Um, You know, the back line definitely needed someone more spry in the back three. Uh, Bryant was getting burned. Uh, They needed somebody to help stop uh, Cadewell. Uh, KK well and they didn't really have an answer for him Jackson Yule you know he had his moments in the midfield but I think a lot and Hernan mentioned it you know that they have more shot opportunities and they did but at the end of the day you got to convert them you can't just brag about having multiple so much shots you don't make them and in this case like we're going to get to a second you know the amount of bodies that are missing, I think this is for the first time for a lot of DC and I fans. We have a new head coach. So some are going to be afraid to question methodology. And some are going to see this and see two losses against a, cape, a competitive New England team. And then you have a... A half and half San Jose team that played this weird one on one man on man style of marking, which if you can find little gaps, you can beat that. So it's it's all confusing, and I people are starting to question the amount of injuries due to Hernan Losada's focus on fitness since he got hired and. Here was his response to questions about his methodology. Like I told you, I told you before the first game that this group was was not fit enough. They came back from four months uh, off-season, totally unfit, many with overweight. Nobody had control over what the players were doing during those four months. And some of them are paying the price. But... Uh, 60, 70% of the injuries are injuries from the past. Injuries that you could avoid with individual programs, checking the physical tests that they did to attack those weaknesses, players who have problems in the past. So to be honest with you, I'm not planning to change uh, the way we are training or the way we are working. Uh, There are all other departments that need to change and needs to adapt to our way of of work, not the other way around. Uh, I guess DC United hired me to 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 make a change uh, and not to keep on doing the things we have been doing for the last ten years. So uh, I tell you, to be honest, uh, still in this hard defeat for one, I see many many positive things, and I'm sure that when the guys are coming back and some of them are getting closer, uh, we will get stronger. But um, unfortunately, all the special cases uh, uh, are happening in, in this United. And we have many players that are out of the field for months and, and they're still not close to, to join the group. So that's a big concern that we need to fix towards the future. So that's Hernan Lozada during the post-game addressing concerns about the number of guys that are missing. Mario, your thoughts while being at the press conference and seeing, uh, well, hearing Hernan's re- reaction to that? I'm going to say the following. I mean, 
he he gave you an honest look into into that whole injury thing, and it's kind of a breath of fresh air a little bit. And again, it, like you said, it comes down to this team hasn't had a new head coach in ten years, so a brand new perspective on like going just especially essentially just calling out the fit the fitness levels of the players and the preparation going into it is kind of uh is kind of interesting, but. It correlates to what, why you have so many injuries so early, and yeah, it it, it was an interesting uh, interesting look into into what Hernando Salas is dealing with at the moment in time. I mean, it's a different perspective because he plays in Europe, which refuses to. Where technically they are off for three months, they refuse to realize that because a lot of the big players end up playing internationally. A lot of the uh, players end up, you know, camp start up back in in August or even late July if you're a Champions League team. And and so it feels like in Europe it's only six weeks, seven weeks when it's actually three months also. Someone has to tell him the reason they were off for four months, at least, is because they were trying to make sure they had money and had their jobs. <laughs> I think as a former player not long ago, I think he would understand that uh, unions fight for you. Uh, but I do agree with his commentary. Um, you know, we just dealt with a case here with the Washington football team where, you know, they misdiagnosed someone and... And it turned out he had a tumor in his head and he could have died from it. And they basically just ran out the whole medical staff, an award-winning medical staff. And D.C. United may have to be reactive or, you know, be different in terms of the way they prepare for a season. You know, there are times when I would come in for guest services and – you would just joke around with security and say, when's the last time you saw a player? October. <laughs> and you're talking about the middle of February at this point. So so that that's just that's there's something to do obviously with the uh the, the union, but also and the union fight that happened during the preseason. As well as you know yeah, MLS is so forgiving that some players take it for granted. And I think that's what happened here. It felt like his comments would have been, it's like when you were playing in high school soccer and you didn't play club ball. And so high school soccer finishes, you're just like, well, I don't get to work out no more. And then you think you could just work it back in the summer. You then get get ready during preseason. And then the season starts back in the fall. Like, no, you can't do it. You, not in this era of soccer where it's like 11 months straight of soccer, soccer, soccer. Your life is the game. And for those who aspire to go to Europe, that's the way the world works now. And so if you're a homegrown, I would take this to heart, especially if you're a homegrown that's injured right now and not playing on the field. Right. And I, I think, I think, yeah, it's, so. and I mean, I agree with what Losada said throughout, throughout the press conference, but yeah, I think it's part, partially it's just like, a little bit of the culture shock when it comes with because of where Hernando Sada is coming from. You're coming from the Belgian league, and he was in midseason when they hired him. Right. So there's a little bit of that whole of that whole difference in culture kind of a deal going on. 
I think once he gets a little bit acclimated, but at the same time, yeah, you know, you want to ask for top performance from your players, I guess, year round because, yeah, soccer's changed. And, and, and again, you just got to think about it. Like, this is like a new, we're entering a new era, a new, a new, uh, new coaching regime, if you will. And he wants, and he wants to, and we're playing with a new playing style that demands a lot more fit to be for you to be a little more physical or a little more fi- a game fit. So it's a catch 22, but I think one, once you work out the kinks a little bit, you'll probably, you'll get, uh, you'll get the optimal results you're looking for when it comes, when it comes to your playing style with Hernan Losada. But again, you know, I agree. Like, like, I agree with his with his with his uh his uh sentiment sentiment when it comes to just the fitness going in, but also you know you can't help that MLS uh, the MLS players union was fighting for for you to get more money. Well, the players get more money, but here was something from uh, the Athletic did a Q and A with Pariola. This past week, and they asked him about the physical discussion. Paul, being one of those players that are currently out due to injury, he has a quadriceps injury. He said uh, about the, the fitness demands. "Quote: The fitness demands are much higher now, which, in my opinion, is probably why a lot of players are still out right now or running more than we ever did." In a way, I think maybe last year or a, under a different coach, I'd probably be training right now. But because of the fitness demands and the way he wants to run it, it's one of those things where he wants all the injury guys to come back at full fitness. So obviously that takes time. It doesn't take days. It takes weeks. Hopefully a lot of us are back are in the back end of that and will be integrated back in the team soon. So that's another concern when, you know, we're in a results-oriented business. Losada came in, was very passionate about the fact that he wants to change the culture. And he wants it to be a winning mentality and that we go for every match for victory. You know, he gave you an interesting response about uh, morale with the team. You know, um, he, he wants to go for victories, but if you're a man, like let's say Paul is at 50%, not 70 80%. Are you just not going to play him still because you want him to be at optimal optimal health? Like, just because you're going to have them run, like, all game long? I don't know if that's a proper strategy, and it makes me concerned that, that you know, he's thinking more of his style versus putting the, mo- the most appropriate players at the right time to give him results. Yeah, that is a little bit concerning, but at the same time, I think I kind of get where Hernan Losada is coming from. If you're playing this kind of demanding style, you do want your players to be in an optimal to optimal condition, and you don't. If you if he feels like you're not ready, like being at seventy or eighty percent, and wants you at a full hundred percent, that's kind of uh, that's kind of his call a little bit. And I understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, you. You kind of need results to you gotta you gotta get the proper results that you need. So uh, sometimes you gotta compromise. Maybe at a ninety percent. Maybe Paul Riola, for example, comes back at ninety percent. Then you'll probably see him. Then you'll probably see him call back up. 
But all in all, I think I, I keep going back to this because it, it's, it rings true when it comes to Hernan Losada. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day, and this isn't going to be – this isn't going to get right right away. This isn't going to start clicking right away. But, yeah, I, I think the sooner rather than later, you're going to have to look in – to look in, into what your player de- uh, what what percentage your players are coming back from injury from and have to compromise a little totally and um you know one more on this you know what are your thoughts on the forward line um if Roberto is healthy I, I think he starts the next match I, I think I've seen enough of Sarga especially like you mentioned the miss um in the second half, that then turned into a counterattack for the fourth goal. Like I, the, that miss is something you gotta hit it one time on the run and hit it hard the, and hit it hard past the keeper. Get your right foot in there and get it done. I'm tired of seeing too much from this football where it's ticky tack because we all want to pretend we're Barcelona of 2010. Like no, we're not. Just score the easy goal. Like don't you don't need to walk in. Just score. Yeah, because I I I was flabbergasted because he didn't hit it all the way too hard and it, it landed completely at the defender for him to clear it out pretty easily. So yeah, to that I think I've had enough of the whole Sorga experiment. I think you got to start Nigel Roberta for the next game at the very least, if healthy. But um, one guy that is healthy is uh, Felipe Martins back from a torn ACL uh, back in August. Here's what he had to say about returning to the pitch. I, I feel like I never left. You know, that's that's my team. That's how I feel. I feel like home every single day with the, the boys. And, you know, I, I tried my best. I tried my best to, to make the team have more possession, to, to start more believe, to, to get the, the team up the field. But I don't look only about myself. I don't, to be fair, I don't care about me coming back today, but about we lost and we got to look at me like uh, I was one of the players that play for the past uh, three games. And that's we're going to look do, during this week to get ready for Columbus. And let's forget about my comeback. And it's time to look at the team and what we can do better. Because now I'm back and, you know, nothing we need to continue to talk about. Not thrilled with the result. Any final words, Mario, and your thoughts on his return? Uh, I'm just happy to see Felipe back. You get an integral part of the midfield. And someone that hold that holds that line between the midfield and the def- and the back line, so I'm glad to see him back. Also, I was glad for him to come back his little old fiery self trying to fight Eric Rometty in the second half. So there's that. Yeah, I thought he brought stability in the defense. That was one thing that was clearly lacking, especially with Briant basically being dragged out of position. It was um, he, he was a calming force. And sometimes when you're playing this high-pressing, forward-thinking style where you're bringing up your line as high as it can go, sometimes you just need that guy that pushes you back, that tells you, hey, slow down for a bit. And that's what Felipe brought. He brought that calming presence. And I think he, if Russell can't play next week, He'll fit in perfectly. He'll slot in in that spot perfectly and adds a dimension that I think this team needs. Sometimes you just need a – and he he does act like he wants the captaincy as much as Briant has it currently. 
but uh, I would love to see him, you know, continue that voice. You know, he talked about speaking with Sorg after the game about the miss. So it would be good to see him, you know, continue that level of leadership that it looks like Hernan Losada has entrusted in him. Right, indeed. And I think I think just to continue to see him uh, evolve a little more and just get back to to a certain type of normal prior to the injury. Speaking of normal, um, the Washington Spirit, with their first set of fans since 2019 to see a match, ended up with a scoreless draw as it took on the New York, New Jersey, Gotham. Uh, Mari, you were at the match. What were your thoughts on this? You know, it was an entertaining match, but at the end of the day, scoreless. Um, first off, I want to shout out Richie Burke. This man was out here looking hella dapper on the sideline. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the shoe game. He was wearing a nice, clean pair of Stan Smith Adidas shoes. So I, I appreciate you, sir. You and Hernan Losada are bringing a level of drip to, to the coaching, to the touchline that I truly appreciate as a sneakerhead. And that. Yeah, as a sneakerhead, I, I truly appreciate the levels of drippiness and swagoo that's coming out of your pores. I appreciate that. Uh, the game itself was entertaining. Sucks that it ended 0-0, but it was entertaining. It was also nice to see fans back in the stands to watch a spirit game. Then I can confirm, no, there is no one dressed as Batman to root on Goth- uh, New York, New Jersey, Gotham. But, again, it was nice to see fans back back in the stands. Yeah, I, I loved having fans in the stands. It brought another dimension. We'll get to, you know, Andy Sullivan's thoughts on having fans in the stands in a second. But, you know, for those who weren't able to see the match, you know, both teams have kind of developed this rivalry of sorts back when it was Sky Blue instead of Gotham now. Um, and they've been fun affairs. I think uh, Margaret Puse, uh, who's a local for those who don't know, from um, Montgomery County. Um, she played excellent the last time they played against each other last season during the fall series. And this time around, it looked like, you know, the spirit <laughs> locked her down. Meanwhile, offensively, you know, they went back to that 4-3-3 they've been trying to play with, putting Ashley Sanchez more in the middle versus playing her as one of the top three attackers. And, you know, it added a different wrinkle to it, put uh, Kumi Yokihama as a false nine. And Ashley Hatchett got a lot of opportunities off of that, but not the one she's used to. She played more on the left versus being that out and out number nine that she's used to. And we didn't get to see enough of that. Uh, but we know her for being a set piece machine where she's great at headers and can be found in the box for those open opportunities to get ahead on the ball or get a volley opportunity. Overall, I thought the game was fun to watch. I watched it from home. The, the draw, it, you know, it's a draw scoreless. You can't really say much other than that. Um, they just had the score and, you know, Richie mentioned it in the post game, the lack of scoring was a concern, but they didn't have Jordan DiBiase out there, DiBiase out there. They didn't have Kelly O'Hara, so it's going to be great to see them back in when they're healthy and 100%. And 
they only get four points in the Challenge Cup. They get eliminated. They don't continue on to the playoff round, uh, but the Challenge Cup. But I did like that Richie said, what was a learning curve? What was something that we learned? And we'll get to that quote. Um, no more 10-week preseasons. I, I kind of agree. <laughs> I, 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 I felt the energy when he said that in the press. In the presser post game, it was kind of hilarious. But you know, I think just from the game themselves, they played really well. And uh, when it comes to Ashley Hatch, she almost scored. She ringed one off the crossbar. <laughs> yeah, but as we said earlier, first match in an over a year now um, for the Spirit, close to 18, 19 months without fans. Here's what uh, Captain Andy Sullivan said about having the fans back. I was so looking forward tonight. First of all, my, my grandfather is 93 years old and he came to the game tonight. And um, so did some of my other extended family from the area. And that means so much to me because um, they were so influential into getting me here. And so for them to get to see me at Audi Field is so special. So I, I really wanted to, you know, put on a good show for them tonight. So I was super happy about that. You know, my, my two best friends from high school, my brother, um, my husband, which is, so special. Um, but then again, I go walk around the stadium and I see young kids in, in Lee Mount Vernon jerseys and Bethesda jerseys and, um, you know, teams in matching jerseys saying, you know, oh, we, you know, played for this club. And so I, it's also cool when it's, a, you know, the 75th minute and you're dog tired and you hear someone starting a, a let's go spirit chant, stuff like that. Um, yeah, it makes my like voice quaver a little bit. I love it so much. So it's just really special to get to play in front of fans. And we hope that, you know, soon more and more can come safely. Yeah, it's great to see that fans are being slowly back in there, for those who don't know, Spirit. And we'll get to more in a second and about them and their season and where they'll be playing. But they played this one at Audi Field. Um, and it was it's always great. I think Mario would agree to this. Being at matches now with fans, even if it's 5,000, it just brings a different element of the game. Um I joked about the fact that at Audi Field, they were terrible in terms of the fake fan experience. And what I mean is, instead of just, you know, as soon as the the, the final whistle blew, they gave it 10 seconds and then they hit stop. So you went from, as a person watching the game, thinking there are fans because you hear these fake fans and then all of a sudden, boom, they disappear. (laughs) Very randomly, just disappear. And, um... It, it, it's not a good look when you just hit stop and you don't even lower the volume ever so slowly. It was just like, stop. All right, everybody already imaginarily went to the Metro. It's good to hear fans roar. It's good to hear them cheer. And it's good to hear them back. And something about the Spirit fans that I really like the most, they love to cheer, they love to chant. They're not like DCNI fans, but they're a lot more kid-friendly, but you can hear and see their passion when they're screaming, they're yelling. And even with masks, it's great to hear that that they're all having a good time, especially the 93-year-old grandpa. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, when she said my 93-year-old grandfather's here to watch the game, oh, it gave me a little bit of an awe moment. I think it's cool, man. It, it, it's cool to see fans back in the stands. It's cool to have family members or players' family members that come in to cheer you on during the during these games. Because I think we've said this before. I think anybody that covers this sport has said it before. 
so, uh, fans are an integral part of the game. You know, and and not having them for a year, it is kind of weird. It also doesn't, like you said, doesn't help that how do you feel cut off the fan noise 10 seconds after the game ended. But, you know, uh, it, it was great to see fans back. It was great to see that interaction. Um, I want to shout out the, cold, uh, the cauldron. I want to shout out all 15 of y'all that showed up to that to, <laughs> to the supporter section and made noise. Y'all brought it. I loved it. You know, and, and also they 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 were able to engage the fans that were there with their families leading leading Washington Spirit. Let's go Spirit chants. I thought it was I thought it was awesome. It was something I I missed for a year. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, Spirit Cauldron, even in games that fans weren't allowed in. Like I remember going to Sagra last year for the first of the fall series, and they were in the park a lot. They even stayed later than me. <laughs> like it was like they 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 were there, and they stayed for the spirit, and they they love the spirit, and they're one of those proud supporters that you as any club need to embrace, um, especially in these weird times where you're seeing fan protests over the world in terms of what's going on with ownerships and Manchester United fans breaking into old Trafford today. You can say that I'm just going to stay off of that. Um, but yeah, it's, those are the supporters you want the, the, the true diehards. Cause you need those guaranteed. Did they bring the passion, the excitement of the game? And then they pass it along to, to the younger generation. And I remember talking to a Barbara member who said that's the essence of supporter groups and why they do it and to make sure that the same level of passion they have is passed down to generation to generation. And I thought, I thought their return was great. I was watching the game and every time I put the volume up, you could just hear the roar from all the kids. And I thought that that would be something I thought I'd miss with Sagra, but I mean, moving from, the Maryland soccer plex to Segra as well as Audi Field, but the fact with five thousand you hear these kids just enjoying themselves and out there is a good time. It's great, great to see. Um, outside of that, um, you know, we did have a match, <laughs> and we do have concerns about the future for the Spirit and what they'll look like heading into the regular season. So before we talk about the regular season. Richie Burke gave his thoughts on the Challenge Cup and what he hopes the team will learn heading into the regular season. Yeah, a lot of takeaways, Thomas, mate. A lot of takeaways. Number one, we wouldn't be doing a 13-week preseason ever again. <laughs> um, number two, you know, when you play competitive matches in preseason, it's very hard on the players and very demanding of the players because you don't get to, to build the flow and build what we want to try and work on. You're right into competitive matches. So, um, but my group showed tonight what great competitors they are. I was very, very happy with majority of performances. There are things that we can tweak and change a little bit on the training ground and get our session planning um, in line. So we're done now. Um, so what we will do is, is give players a break. The staff will meet and we'll get together and see if we can tweak some things with our movement and our interplay in the final third that is probably the last piece of the puzzle for us. That's been a bit of an issue for us for a while. But um, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I can't question the players' effort tonight. I can't question their desire. You know, they showed some great characters, some great fortitude, and, and that's what we asked for. So I was very, very happy with that. All right, what are your thoughts on his assessment that 
the real problem is the final third. I think one thing that I'm going to take away from this is they do have depth, but the depth is limited up front. Where if Ashley Hatch isn't scoring and Rodman's on a restriction because of her age and how many minutes she's playing, there is no third end striker that can give the spirit a different look to help them out offensively. I think that's why we also saw the implementation of a false nine during the last game. But what are your thoughts on Richie's assessment? I think it's a pretty fair assessment. I think uh, just pretty much having them talk about, you know, just not having that depth altogether when it when it comes to uh, when it comes to the final third. I think they have it there. I think I think they've got the elements to have a that they have a really solid final th- uh, final third, especially with Hatch, Sanchez, and Rodman. But Rodman's playing under uh, certain restrictions, like you said, because of her age. Uh you can't really care. You can't really expect the load to fall on Ashley Hatch and Ashley Sanchez all the time, and you can only play so much with a false nine and that with Kumi Yokoyama. But I, I think they need to address those issues a little more. And if you could f- figure it out, you'll be fine. Maybe add a maybe add a death piece or two going into the season or in, in the into the season. Or one, once the season's in full swing and you're able to bring in more players, maybe that'll be the the solution to tweak your yourself your problems on the final third. And especially considering that the Olympics are coming up this year, it, it's uh, it's something that you should be concerned about, honestly. But I, I think it's not something that's that's totally an issue. But it's something that you need that needs to be addressed. And yeah, I think the spirit. Spirit coaching staff and the front office will be capable enough to address those issues going forward, especially the start with the start of the season coming up so pretty soon. Yeah, like one of the examples that I'm thinking about is um, they added in the draft like Mediana uh, Speckmeyer, who plays for the Venezuelan national team. She played at Clemson during college. Um, she would be perfect in terms of uh, as a striker, you know, who has international experience. What probably isn't going to the Olympics. I haven't looked at the, I don't think Venezuela made it to the Olympics, but let's say in, just in case I'm right here, that's someone that brings another dimension and has experience playing that number nine role that we didn't see much of her. And so hopefully we get to see a little bit more from her as we head into the regular season, which uh, the NWSL announced this week, uh, the schedule. The Spirit will open their season on Sunday, May 16th, against the Orlando Pride. They will return home to play the Houston Dash on Wednesday, May 26th. They are part of the NWSL 10-team league they will play 24 matches, 12 home, 12 away. They will play Racing, Louisville, and Orlando three times um, and from the West Coast and play Kansas City, Gotham, and Portland twice. That's the weird math we're doing here in order to make sure we play 24 matches in the season. Um, uh, for those who don't remember, the winner, the, person, the team with the highest Point total is awarded the NWSL Shield. The six best teams out of the League of Ten 
will be into the playoffs with the top two seeds receiving a first round bye. The Spirit themselves will split their home site with Audi and Segra. They will play. Uh, they'll play five matches at Segra this year, seven at Audi. The Houston match will be the first game at Segra, the one that was mentioned earlier on May 26th. And then the first Audi game will be June 6th against the Orlando Pride. Uh, Mario, what are your thoughts on the fact that, you know, last before COVID last year was announced that Segra would be the, the main home field, and now we're seeing Audi getting the bulk of the games? Uh, that's what happens when you don't fix your plumbing issues in time. <laughs> Had to go there, huh? Oh, always, you know, because I still find it fascinating that you don't have a proper... <laughs> you have running water and bathrooms and proper locker rooms. I digress. Uh, it, it, it's interesting. They still get they still get games, so uh, it's not all for loss. But, you know, I think it just speaks to how comfortable now the spirit are playing at Audi field. So it, it, it goes to show that, you know, when you, when you feel comfortable playing at a certain place, you want to play the majority of your games there. And, and I feel like right now, I guess they played a couple games. They played a couple games last year at Stegra, but I think they feel, I, I think from the, for these two games, this year's challenge cup, the spirit feel a lot more at home playing at Audi Field, so I guess that's one of the reasons why they get bo- the bulk of the games. You're right; they did play games in the in Segra last year. There was and much- also to uh, to go back to your previous statement about Venezuela, they are not in the Olympics this year. <laughs> I mean, you know, I remember Richie saying, "Look, it has a decent balance there. There's only slight concerns because it is turf." Um, and yeah, you're right; they don't have proper you know, utilities in terms of a dressing room and they don't have, you know, uh, I, I compare it to Bur- to uh, Ludwig Field for those who've been to the University of Maryland where there are literally trailers in term, uh, for the dressing rooms for the men's soccer teams there and the women's soccer teams. That's, they have trailers for dressing rooms. I love Ludwig, but I'd want something permanent. I think a lot of soccer fans would tell you the same thing about Maryland. Same here. The fact that they're playing rugby and now and Loudon's about to start. Then the spirit, like you're gonna you're gonna start wearing on that turf a little bit. And so that's that's probably why you have the turf concerns and then yes, you're right. The concerns of the fact that they don't have permanent locker rooms. We still don't even know the status on that. Um, hopefully that's fixed <laughs> before the the match in May, but we shall see on that one. Um, yeah, that's just Stadium 101 right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember, this was always built, for those who don't know, the specs for Audi Field was always under the assumption that they would have a secondary team playing at Audi Field, whether it was football or women's soccer. It was always assumed that it'd be women's soccer, but we never knew because the NWSL was still new. You know, the, that was the hope and goal. But, you know, there was concerns of that, and they have retrofitted 
Audi field for football as well. That's why we had XFL games um, a year ago at Audi field. So I, I agree with you. Hopefully this shows that the spirit would prefer to play at Audi and that that would be their primary home. But, you know, it's still a work in progress and maybe Segra becomes a grass field, um, which would more benefit more than make players happy on both <laughs> Loudon and the spirit. But um, we will see. Now, for those who don't know, something that's interesting about this schedule release, the Tokyo Olympics are from July 21st to August 7th, and the NWSL will continue through the Olympics with possible four matches without Ashley Hatch, Sanchez, O'Hara, Sane, and Bledsoe if they are selected for the U.S. Women's National Team. Mario, what are your thoughts on that, that the league is playing through the Olympics knowing the majority of their top-end players won't be there and that other teams are going to be affected if their team, their players are picked up as well? Uh, it, it's interesting. It's a catch-22, especially playing through such a important tournament like the Olympics and that you're going to be missing some of some of your best players because they'll be playing in the Olympics. Uh, it, I'll, I could say it for, for the uh, players that are coming up in the league, this is a chit or coming up through the ranks through these teams. This is a chance to show, to show your stuff and what you've got in, in the absence of these players. But it, it'll be interesting because uh, you could, you'd have to change a little bit when it comes to the dynamics or or formation styles that you've been playing with with these players, so you it would be more of a period of trying to adjust, of not having them there. Yeah, for those who remember um, during the last World Cup a, uh, two years ago, that's when the Spirit went on a run of about eight matches undefeated, but a, <laughs> those eight matches end up becoming. Three, four wins, and the rest were draws until they finally started losing. And then by the time the players came back, um, there was a lopsidaisical return to rhythm. There was a lot of, there were a couple of losses, and then they were knocked out of playoff contention. Um, and then they tried to fight back to get into playoff contention, and they just couldn't round out those results. And that's what could happen here. Uh, we again, Yes, these were competitive matches to an extent, but because of the Challenge Cup's importance, but I, I do want to caution Richie for saying that because by the second match, you knew you weren't going to make it <laughs> to the playoff round. I would have loved to see him play more youth players, play these draftees that you really good players from the draft that you picked up. And and see what they're gonna, what they bring to the tables, especially because they're gonna be the bulk of your roster. Now, do I think Sanchez is gonna get called up? That's a fifty-fifty. Trinity Rodman, if she kills it in the first couple of months here, maybe she gets a call up. You, they're only taking eighteen players, and so far the U.S. Women's National Team has been much of veteran roster. So, obviously, O'Hara's going to get picked up. Maybe Sonnet. Um, obviously, possibly Sonnet. But Bledsoe, like, she could be picked up to be a backup keeper. 
So it's it. I am. I hope that the spirit in these first couple of games, or at least after this week of rest, they do check on these draftees and put them to the ringer, see what they got, and hopefully they get more minutes or playing practice time, and then minutes at the start of the season to get them ready for the Tokyo Olympics to really test out the depth. Agreed. But I think that's enough time for both of us. It's getting late. Chicharito's hurt, so I know that means that's enough time for us. <laughs> the man can't even stand. I can't even speak anymore. Mario's ready to go to sleep. So before we all pass out, uh, Mario, tell the people where they can find out more about you. All right. If you want to see what I'm working on or just want to see my random musings of it's going to be May uh, to, uh, memes, you can follow me on Twitter at MarioMaya1. If you want to see what the Tempo Latinos doing it, uh, doing or working on, you can follow them too on Twitter at El Tiempo Latino. You want to read their articles? And eh, go to their website at eltiempolatino.com. And if you want to put more cash in my pocket so I can uh, re up on my sneaker game, go get you the go get you a physical newspaper at a newsstand or local metro station near you. Yes, because we still read the newspaper. Uh, sure. I agree with you, sir. <laughs> I hope the people line up your pockets because you get paid for those physical copies. But outside of that, remember to always check out the sportsbolts.com for more sports content. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into the Bad Hombres FC podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Jose underscore M underscore Omana for more. Special shout out as always to Kevin McLeod and Infotech for the intro and outro music remember rate and subscribe on anchor spotify and all your audio platforms thank you so much for tuning in and we will talk to you soon adios